So there are two kinds of people in the world, people who like to be early to events and people who like to be late. Let me see you put your hand in there if you like to be early. Ready? Oh, my gosh. I despise you people. You are the... Yeah, who likes to be late to something, right? Oh, yeah, that is so much better. Then you don't have to have these awkward conversations. You don't have to just be staring at the one other person that's there early, right? I like to show up just a little bit late. And we're going to talk about tonight how God is always right on time. He's never late. He's never early. But he always shows up in our lives in the exact perfect moment. And we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. I've been preaching for a long time, close to 10 years now, and I've never done this before. We're going to jump right into the scripture tonight because I believe that we need to look at this story, and I want to kind of take us a little bit deeper tonight. I think it's important that I come up here and I preach, but sometimes I think it's important to be a storyteller and tell you guys about all the different things that are in scripture. And we're going to look at a book of the Bible tonight. We're going to look at Esther, and we're going to go through it, and it's an important story, and I think that there's some really good things that we could pull out of it tonight, but we're going to do things different. Normally, I would talk to you guys about why this topic is important and all the reasons why it applies to you, but we're going to jump right into it and let the story really show us why this is so important. So you guys are my guinea pigs tonight. Let's see if this works. All right? We are going to be in Esther, chapter 1, and verse 1. If you guys are Have your Bibles, you can pull them out, or you can look on the screens with us. We're going to actually start in verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded, we got some big names going on today, Mehuman, Bistha, Horobna, Bigtha, Abakatha, Zertha, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served, if you want to know what a eunuch is, you can see Joe Levante after the service, he'll tell you what that is, who served in the presence of King Arxerxes to bring Queen Vesati. Uh, before the king with her royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vesetti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. At this, king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. So let me explain to you guys what's going on. The king is having this huge party, and they are getting very merry off wine at this moment. And he does something that was not accustomed to Persians. He invites the queen to come on in to the party because he wants to show off how incredibly beautiful she is. Now, there would be two separate parties going on. All the men would be in one room having a party, the king and all of his guests, and then you would have all the women having their own party in a separate part. And he just wants the queen to come on down because he wants to show off how beautiful she is to all of his guests. But the queen refuses to do this. This would bring disgrace on her to enter into this kind of party. And there's something that you don't do back in the day. You don't tell the king no. This almost always ended in death for you. And she stood her ground and she refused to go into the party. And because of this, the king is furious. He is so angry that she has not obeyed his command. So let's pick up back in the story now that we know kind of what's going on here. He got all of his guys together, and they kind of came to this decision. If it pleases the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vesetti is never again to come before King Arxerxes, uh, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, 
for it is vast. All women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes. And the king did as Miumakan proposed. <laughs> he sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every providence in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be the master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. So the king gets all of his boys together, and they decide, you know what? This queen's got to go. We're done with her. You need to divorce her and find someone else to be your queen. And they're going to come up with this brilliant idea. But before we do that, you're probably thinking, all right, what in the world does this story have to do with me? How does this apply to my life? This king is having a party, his wife won't come in, and now he divorces her. Joey, this has nothing to do with all the problems that I walked in with tonight. And at first glance, it does seem that way. But I want to tell you guys that there is something very divine happening, even in the foolishness of this king. And even in his sinful heart, God is at work. And as we work through this story, we're going to see how divine his true providence is in knowing all the details and decisions of men's heart even before they act on those decisions. And if you can learn this now, it will help bring a lot of clarity into your life. Because sometimes you and I are going to go through things that don't really make sense. Things that don't add up. On the surface, they will look like these are just people making really horrible decisions against us. Or maybe you're the one that's made the really bad decision and you're wondering, why would God allow this in my life? Well, maybe God has a divine purpose in everything that we go through. Even our worst decisions. Even in the decisions that have been made against us that have caused us so much pain. Maybe God has saw all those things beforehand and always been at work in all of them. And here's what I know. That probably pulls out a lot of emotion in you. Because some of you guys have been really hurt in this room by things that other people have done to you. And you don't know how to make sense of that. And maybe you've been wrestling with your relationship with God and what you've been through in your life. And the two of them just seem like they collide and they clash. Maybe God allowed it for a purpose and a reason. And that is easy for someone like me to say because I haven't walked through what you've been through. But here's what I want to tell you. Maybe this story can give you a little bit of hope tonight because I promise that God is divine providence is so amazing and we're going to see it at work in this story let's go now to esther chapter 2 this is what it says then the king's young men who attended him said let the beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in susa the citadel under custody of hegai the king's eunuch who is in charge of the women let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of a sati. This pleased the king, and he did so. So I love how this verse said that the king gathered together all of the young men, because you know a bunch of boys came up with this idea, right? Like, they are going to have a beauty contest. That is essentially what happens, right? This is like the bachelor going on back in the day, right? Except if you lose, you get beheaded. So it's really bad if you don't get a rose. So he decides we're going to get all of these women together, all of them in, on, in all the lands that are near us, and we're going to see which one the king likes the best. 
Let's go to verse 5 now. Now there were a Jew in the Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yahir, son of Shemai, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Janak, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadash, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure, and she was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king ordered his edicts were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put into custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and the young woman to the best palace in the haram. Esther had not made known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. So here we are. We're given our main character. Her name is Esther, and we learn a couple of things about her, that she is an orphan. Her mom and her dad have passed away. We learn that she is Jewish in descent and that she was taken uh, probably down the line as a captive into Persia because of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. They'd taken over Jerusalem and they had destroyed it. And so how, here she is now living in this foreign place, which she probably even never even knew what it was like to live in her own home because she was young when this all happened. And now she's suddenly swept up into this contest and the king finds favor with her. And her uncle Mordecai comes, uh, cousin, and he comes all the time, and he, and he gives her advice and tells her what to do. And this girl is probably so confused at all that's going on in her life right now. And it seems like she has lost complete control in everything that's going on. Her and seven other women are now living with the king in his palace. He's narrowed it down to these seven people. And Mordecai is a really important character too. We learn as this story goes on that he actually shares some really important advice with the king that will be later um, important in the story. He tells the king about a plan that was coming for some of his servants that were going to try and kill him. And he warns the king and they stop what was going to happen. So he has found favor in the king's sight as well. But here we have our main character Esther, and she is one of the final seven contestants, so to speak, before the king. Suddenly you look at this story and you realize that maybe there's more than what meets the eye. Maybe there's something deeper going on here for this random, so it seems, Jewish girl to now be in running to be queen. Maybe God sees something that we can't see yet in this story. Maybe he's working something together. So often you and I see such very small parts of our story. There are things in our life that may seem random, seem like they have led us so far from where we would thought we would be, but really God is working that. Maybe he is putting us in that position to accomplish or do something greater in our lives that we can't see the full picture of just yet. And that's exactly where this young girl, Esther, is right now. I want to read to you guys this. God serves his own purposes, even by the sins and the foolishness of men. 
which he would not permit if he didn't know how to bring good from them. Let me say that again. God serves his own purposes, even by the sins and foolishness of men, which he would not permit if he didn't know how to bring good from them. I don't know about you, but that brings me a lot of peace in my life. Do you know what that means? It means that God would not allow any bad thing to come into our life if he didn't absolutely know that he, couldn't, that he could bring good from it. That's the only reason why you and I are allowed to go through difficult things in this life. Because God knows that he can accomplish something amazing through it if we go through it. He even takes the sins and the foolishness of men and he turns it for good. There is nothing that's been done to you that God can't turn from good. There is no foolish decision that you've made that God still can't turn from good. And maybe you're saying, Joe, you don't understand what I've done. No, you don't understand how powerful God is. You don't fully grasp yet how amazing and how great he is that he even chooses to redeem our foolish decisions. Some of you right now are walking through something really difficult. And it doesn't make sense. And here's what I want to tell you, is maybe you just can't see the full picture yet. Don't give up. Don't leave, lose hope in the middle of what you are going through right now. Let's keep looking and working through this story now. This is what it says in verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the woman, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to the king, Ahasuerus, into the royal palace in the tenth month, which is the, mo the month of Tebitha, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all of the women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of the seti. Then the king gave her a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted remission of taxes to the providences and gave gifts with royal generosity. She wins out of all the other girls. The king is so filled with joy in his heart that he cuts taxes for everyone in the whole land. That's how beautiful Esther was. He's like, that's it. Tax cuts for everyone, right? He just starts giving out free gifts to everyone because he is so taken in awe and he is so enamored by Esther's beauty. He's blown away that it benefits everyone. And God had placed her in this story for a reason and for a purpose. See, the king was willing to do almost anything that Esther would say because he was so enamored by her. That's a pretty rare thing for a king to be so caught up in something like that. Kings were known to be kind of judgmental, to not always listen to advice, to do whatever they pleased. But yet this king is so taken by Esther. Look at this next, next verse. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. Now she's queen, and this king still doesn't know that she's Jewish. He doesn't know that she's one of God's people. And Mordecai has advised her to keep this 
information from him. And I kind of wrestled with that a little bit. It seemed like they were almost being dishonest. But as I read a commentary on it, it it shed some good light. And I, I just think that this is important to read. This is what Matthew Henry says. He did not bid her deny her country, nor tell a lie to cancel her parentage. If he had told her to do so, she must not have done it. But he only told her not to proclaim her country. All truths are not to be spoken at all times, though an untruth is not to be spoken at any time. And so it wasn't that she was lying by not saying this. It just they hadn't given the full picture yet. And so we see from here from someone who is grounded biblically that this was okay, that this wasn't a sin that they were committing. Let's ver- jump to Esther chapter 3 now, verse 3. After these th- these things, King Azores promoted Haman, the Agitite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king, Haman, I'm sorry, for the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when the people spoke to him that day after day, he would not listen to them. They told Haman, in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was Jewish. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Azores. Haman is our bad guy in this story. He hated Mordecai, and because he hates Mordecai, he hates all Jews now. And so he knows that he just wants to get rid of this guy, Mordecai. He has got to go. So in order to do that, he decides, why don't we just kill all the Jews? Why don't we just get rid of them completely, God's chosen people? And this just seems like a huge overreaction to me in a lot of ways, but oftentimes that's what pride does to our own hearts. It blinds us to the truth, and we will take extreme measures to do things. Pick back up in verse 8 now. Then Haman said to King Azores, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's law, so that it is not the king's profit to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And if I pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may be put into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the Agitite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you. The people also do with them as it seems good to you. So he comes up with this plan and he tells the king some true facts that there are these people living among us who don't believe like we do, that don't celebrate all the same customs that we do. But he says that they're breaking your rules, and then that wasn't true. They, they weren't breaking any of the king's rules at this moment in time. He says, you know what? I'll pay you, king, if you kill all of these people. If you get rid of them, I will do whatever it takes. I, I will give you 10,000 talents just to get rid of them. See, Haman had built this plan in his heart to deceive the king. And of course it works. The the king gives in to it and says, yes, let's do this. It sounds like a great idea. Because men will form their own plans, 
but God sees those plans before they are formed. And God all along was writing his own plan, was putting the pieces into action that he wanted to be into action because he knew what Haman was going to try and do to his people. And he wasn't going to let that happen. He had something that he was going to do at the very same time. As men can try and establish their plans, but God is always above those things. And he is writing his story. And his story is the one that is always finalized into action. We can try and do things in our life, but God ultimately has the final say. Esther chapter 4, verse 3. And in every providence, wherever the king's commanded and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. They were devastated by this news because they knew that their end was coming. They felt like this was the end of their whole tribe, of, of their race. They, they felt like it was done. And so they were filled with great sadness. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these last 30 days. And so Esther hears about all that's going out outside of the palace, and Mordecai tells her what's going on, and that's what... We read right here in verse 11. And she says, I don't know if I can do anything about this. I haven't been called into the king's presence in the last 30 days. She goes, if anyone just walks into the king's presence, and, and, and everyone kind of knew this, if you walked in without being invited, you'd be killed. You couldn't just go before the king. And he would make an exception every once in a while. If he held out his golden scepter to you as you walked in, you were allowed to speak. And so she didn't know what to do because surely she was putting her life at risk by even going before the king. But God knew who Esther was. He knew what he had already placed inside of her. He knew that she was the one who was made for this moment. We live in a culture um, now that's finally seeing women, women for their true value. But God has always seen that true value. He has always used them in amazing ways. And back then, women were seen as nothing. They weren't even allowed in the presence of men, but God saw them for who they really were. And he had always had them accomplish amazing things throughout Scripture. So God knew the true value of women, and, he, women, and he knew who Esther was. And so here she was, kind of caught up in this complex situation. And this is kind of what goes on in the letter between her and Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my, me and my young women will fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. 
Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. I love what Esther says there. She goes, you know what? I believe that this is the right thing. I believe that God has placed me here for this reason. And if I perish, then I perish. I need to do what I know is right. I also love what Mordecai says in this letter too, that maybe you've been placed here for such a time as this. And here's what I want to tell you guys, is that you have been placed where you've been placed for such a time as this. It's no mistake that you are the person to go through the things that you've been through in your life. God has placed you in it because he knows that you can handle it. He knows that you have inside of you what you need to conquer those things because he's been writing your story and he will continue to write your story. And I know some of those things seem really overwhelming and you don't know how to make sense of them right now. But here's what I want to tell you is that God has placed you there for a reason. Don't give up. You need to have this attitude of Esther that if I perish, I perish. But I believe deep down that God has placed me here. And I know that he will accomplish what he wants through my life. It's no mistake you are where you are. It's no mistake that you've been through what you've been through. You can overcome these things. You can keep fighting. You can keep going. And there will be something amazing on the other side. You just can't see the full picture yet. But if you keep going and you don't give up, God will unveil something so beautiful and something so powerful to you if you keep going. Esther was willing to risk her life for her people. Go to Esther chapter 5 now. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarter. While the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight and held out the scepter to Esther. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you, even half of my kingdom. And Esther said, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. She walks into the king's throne boldly, and he grants her her request. She isn't killed. And she says, the king says, you can have anything you want in my whole kingdom, Esther. Anything up to half of it, I, I will give it to you. It is yours. You have won my favor, and you have won my heart. And so she requests him to have dinner with just him and Haman. And that's exactly what happens. She prepares a dinner. And after this dinner, Haman thinks that he is the man that just the fact that he would be invited by the king and the queen to have dinner with them alone. He felt like he is finally making it and getting the recognition that he deserves. He feels special. He feels honored by all that is going on. But after dinner that night, this is what happens. This is what he's saying later on to his wife and some of his friends. It's Haman talking. Yet all this is worth nothing to me. As long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Zersa, and all the friends said to him, Let a gallow 50 cubits high be made. And in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hang upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman. And he had the gallows 
mate. So he walks out from dinner, and at the gate, he sees Mordecai, and he can't even enjoy what has just taken place. Just seeing Mordecai makes him sick to his stomach. So he decides, you know what? I'm going to hang this guy tomorrow because I'm not going to let him ruin one more day. And after that first dinner, Esther had invited um, Mordecai to come back again the next day. And that night, the king has a dream. And he can't sleep, and he's restless. And he's reminded of Mordecai and how Mordecai had saved him from the servants that were trying to kill him. And he just feels it on his heart that he needs to honor Mordecai. And so he comes before some of his advisors and says, hey, who is that guy again that helped me when those people were trying to kill me? And they said, yeah, that, that was Mordecai. And he says, you know what? I really want to honor him today. I want to bring him before all of the people and celebrate him. And he actually gets Haman. And he says, Haman, hey, can you come here? I want you to celebrate this guy Mordecai. I want you to take him in front of everyone and just celebrate him throughout all of the town. Could you imagine how enraged Haman was in that moment? The person that he wanted to hang that day is now being honored by the king. And he's the one that has to sing Mordecai's praises to all of these people. So Mordecai is so angry by what is going on. And then we're going to look at our last couple of verses right here in Esther chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther said, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, and I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Azorsis said to Zorus, said to the Queen Esther, who he is and where he is, and who has dared to do this. And Esther said, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And Haman is eventually killed for this plot that he had tried to kill all the Jewish people with. See, God knew every step of the way what was truly going on. And the Jews faced complete genocide. This would have wiped them out completely almost. But God would not allow that to happen because he was writing the story. Even when people try to manipulate situations in our life, even when people do sinful and horrible things to us, even in our own foolishness, God is still writing the story. And I hope some of you who have been really hurting lately, some of you who have been really struggling with the events that have taken place in your life or something you're walking through right now can just find some hope for a minute and know that God is writing it and he makes all things work together for the good of those that are in Jesus. And he is doing that for you right now in your circumstance. You're meant to be in your story. God has placed inside of you exactly what you need. Tim Keller said this about Esther. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people in every way. And so I think it's so important whenever story we look at 
in Scripture to not just stop at the story we're reading, but ultimately get to Jesus. Because that's what all of Scripture is. It's a buildup to Jesus coming on the scene. That was God's plan all along. That is God's grand masterpiece. All these other stories like Esther, they are, they are all building towards Jesus. And so sometimes all these people in the Bible didn't know what they were going through, and they didn't understand it, and they didn't get it, but ultimately it was all leading to Jesus because Jesus is the true and greater Esther who wouldn't just risk his life but give his life for you and I. So nothing that we face in this life could be too overwhelming or too difficult because you and I ultimately have Jesus. So let me ask you this. What have you gone through or went through that you think is a mistake? Because it's not. And God can redeem it no matter what you've been through. He can bring good out of it. I know some of you guys, and you feel like giving up because it just seems like your parents have done this and that or your friends have done this and that, and you just feel full of pain tonight. God sees where you're at tonight. Turn back to him. Find hope again. He's writing your story, and he loves you, and he cares about you so much. And so here's the bottom line. It's not going to be on the screen tonight. God only allows what he can work for our good. God only allows what he can work for our good. And I hope that brings a lot of peace for some of you guys in the room tonight to know that. That everything God allows, it's because he knows he can bring good from it. I hope you're encouraged by the story of Esther tonight. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much that ultimately all things lead to Jesus. And in Jesus, we find healing. And in Jesus, we find life and redemption. That our worst mistakes are now to the cross and good can now come from it. I pray, God, for some people who just feel like they're at the end of their rope. People who just feel suicidal tonight. Feel like life has lost all meaning, all purpose. There's just no way that they can keep going. I pray, God, that they would just be reminded that it's you who writes the story. And when things are their darkest, that's when you come through, God. That's your perfect timing to save the day. And I pray for that person, God, right now, that you would just speak a word of healing and a word of hope into their situation, God, that you would let them know that you're not done with them just yet. I pray, God, that you would just bring healing to people who have been really wounded by others. Thank you, God, that there is nothing done to us that you can't heal, that you can't bring good from. I pray that new hope would rise in this place. New power from our testimonies would be made tonight, God. More breakthroughs than ever before because we can rest in your perfect love. I pray, God, for people who have just gotten bad diagnosis this week, God, that just feel like there's not much hope for them. I pray that they would be reminded that there is still a big picture, that it's not over yet, God, that you are still working all these things love you, Jesus. Thank you that you are for us, so what could be against us? You stand in the gaps. When men scheme against us, you're writing your own plan. We love you. We trust you with all that we go through. In your name we pray.